Welcome on in to Empower Talks. This is the podcast where we talk about careers with people across the insurance industry. One thing I love about working in insurance is how you get to meet so many people in so many unexpected places. Lydia Clark is joining us today. She is a graduate at Allianz Insurance and Lydia and I first met on TikTok. So today we're going to be talking about what the insurance industry is doing to help promote jobs to graduates, how she found her way in. And Lydia's been quite outspoken about this where she's had opportunities. What else could we be doing? Why aren't graduates excited about working in insurance? And how is TikTok able to make a difference in that? So I'm very excited to have Lydia in, who's gonna share her personal experiences and give us some things to really think about implementing to make the journey into this market more accessible and more open to all. Welcome, Lydia. It's great to have you here on Empower Talks today. Thank you. No, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to do this. First podcast ever. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm excited about that. And uh, I'm surprised by that because you've done a really good job in the short time you've been in insurance at speaking out about um, your experience today and, and finding roles in insurance. So I'm sure this is not going to be your last. Well, it depends how well it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a sort of tell the listeners essentially about why it is that we we met and how we started talking. Do you want to kind of tell that journey from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So actually, the first time I saw you, Sam, was actually on TikTok. Um, found my way onto kind of CII and insurance learning and development TikTok. Um, and I guess from there, I kind of saw you on LinkedIn etc and um but obviously didn't really hadn't really introduced each other um to each other and then when I went to the ABI's annual conference um Anna made the mistake of giving me a microphone halfway through the morning session and asked me about my experience as a graduate apprentice um because that week the insurance industry had just announced that they were going to double apprenticeship opportunities um and so she was asking me kind of how I was finding it and how I got into the industry kind of similar to this conversation um and put me on the spot a little bit um (laughs) and so once I kind of posted that like you say I'm quite outspoken so I posted that on LinkedIn and just you know reiterated the point that apprenticeships and entry-level roles are really important in the industry um and obviously you saw it and that's how we got in touch yeah and I, I love that um in so, so many levels but a couple of kind of key points there I think even just the fact you were posting on LinkedIn and anyone that listens to this podcast will know that any opportunity get to talk about how effective LinkedIn can be we, we build in here um, and I think with you again that's a, a great opportunity because I know a lot of people um, actually regardless of what level they're at they often say to me I have nothing to say on LinkedIn and so they feel like they have to be a thought leader or content creator to post on LinkedIn and yours was a brilliant example of what is every day for you is actually really sort of interesting, but also kind of strategic vision for a lot of people around the industry, because you've got quite a lot of engagement, I think, on that post as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of people feel like they're taking up space on social media, which they don't deserve if they feel like they don't have anything important to say. Um But what I'm kind of quickly learning is that the more people know you, the more they trust you, the more they want to listen to you. And as much as it's important to get the message out there regarding apprenticeships, learning and development, DNI, it also means that kind of any business opportunities that potentially I'm working on with with Allianz, my connections around me are already kind of listening to me. I already kind of have that audience. And so it just helps um, having that network around because it also means that I engage with other people who are also posting content and also sharing experiences and thoughts um, and so that way my feed on LinkedIn and you know other social media becomes less for show and actually it's more engaging with other people who are part of different networks who actually have something really interesting to say. Yeah and that's brilliant I, I think the fact you're already you know you're already able to do that um, will be something that the more the more you get the benefits of it as you do it, the more it reinforces the reason to post and engage. And then it becomes, 
so something in your comfort zone rather than that fearful kind of concept of is this good enough for LinkedIn or have I made a spelling mistake and with the other things that we might worry about before we post yeah I do get I do get people that message me um if I make a spelling mistake on LinkedIn because I'm actually though we go cards on the table anyone listen I'm really bad at spelling I really do struggle with spelling and um and I will reread things but I'll, I'll quite often miss stuff and uh, I, I have people around me that check everything that goes out content wise in particular grace she's brilliant at it um although she, although she doesn't love having to double check everything though, right <laughs> um but when it comes to linkedin posts quite often i'll you know i used to kind of get send them to people and double check them but now i do them so often i don't um but oh if i make them some mistakes it was people will point it out to me and actually i'm really grateful for that like I, because usually someone mm. points it out in the first ten minutes, and I'm like, brilliant! I can fix this before everybody's seen it. Um, because yeah, it's really hard to kind of spot your own stuff. But if I was worried that I couldn't post something without making a mistake, I'd never post. It just wouldn't mm-hmm. happen because yeah, I, I, I'm not great at that. <laughs> um, so let's go back to this conversation you had at ADR. So, so you know, you said in your post you got the mic, and then that, that was it. You were off. You had something to say you were quite passionate about <laughs> saying. So what's your take? Um, so uh, I'm trying to rethink about what it was that I actually said. Um, I kind of blacked out afterwards and forgot where I was for a moment. But um, yeah, I, I, my point basically was around the fact that insurance seems like quite an intimidating industry from an outsider. And, you know, I, I came from very working class backgrounds um you know working class parents didn't go to university and didn't really have many um professional kind of people in their in their network um so the exposure to the industry was very minimal in my eyes and so not only did I not really understand what insurance was I also didn't understand what careers there were in insurance and so I kind of wrote that off immediately um because I think the perception for a lot of people is that if you're not doing a kind of finance degree or you've not kind of set your heart on that kind of path into into financial services or professional services then then it's too late by the time you've gone through university you're already on on the track to do something else um and so my point was that you need these entry-level jobs that really reiterate the fact that you don't have to have a specific degree you don't have to have experience um because they have these development pathways alongside the job which train you up on the soft skills the technical skills and kind of give you a space to develop and and learn and yeah so essentially I was saying that that's really important for for DNI because like I said if you come from a background where you really don't know what insurance is you've never had exposure to it your parents your parents friends they don't work in insurance or, or financial services you're not going to really you're never going to think twice about it and I think that's one of the gates that's keeping a lot of people out of the industry it's just the lack of awareness of it so um yeah I was kind of praising the industry for what they're doing in the apprenticeship space and also reiterating the point that you know I wouldn't have gotten into into the industry had the ABI not had an entry-level route um during my placement year at university and you know I'm not saying that (laughs) I'm not saying that I'm God's greatest gift to the insurance industry but you know it's it's a point that I really enjoy it now and um it's it's yeah it's just a really important point to have those entry-level roles available there for people and and that's an interesting point in itself because placement years um are, are really even before entry level and, and I did a placement year and I can remember that search for placement years and you had the same experience as me but mine was really a panic of I have got to secure one of these years to get the degree I want to get and I don't really care where that job is I wanted a HR placement year because I was doing a HR degree but I didn't really care what company what industry like just anywhere give me a give me a HR placement year was kind of my view and sort of way I found that was just that the universities would advertise the placement years and because the universities have to really help you find them they're very good at advertising those placement years so you will naturally get a really diverse selection of people applying because they're all looking often on the same place like just the university websites um whereas when it gets to graduate schemes the universities don't help as much no so you're kind of on your own looking for them and that's by that point if you've had a placement year and that's influenced what you're interested in 
you're already down that kind of channel. So I was, you know, I'd done uh, my placement year in a private bank. Um, I really enjoyed it. And that had kind of given me some, some ideas of what I might want and what I sort of might not want that had impacted my, my thought process. Um, but if I didn't have that year, I would have just gone straight onto Google and just put in graduate HR and then anything would have come up and I'd have gone anywhere. Um, and yet we, as an industry, we don't do many placement years. Now I get asked from people studying all the time about placements and I mean, I can probably count on one hand the amount of placements I've been able to share and advertise with people. Um, I used to actually do one in my department. Um, so again, cards on the table. I was struggling to get, um, like you know, getting headcount was hard. It's really hard to get a headcount, especially a permanent headcount. And I needed um, some extra support for loads of stuff that we wanted to do. But I was also quite aware that the job we had that we needed this work for was one that in the first three months, you're going to learn a lot. And you're going to be like, wow, this is really interesting. For the next six months, you're going to be like, I know what I'm doing. This is, I'm really enjoying this. Like, I, you know, I've, I've kind of got a proper job. And then for the last three months, you're going to be really bored. And you're going to have just about had enough, right? Um, so for a permanent role, that wouldn't have been ideal because the turnover would be so high. But for a placement year, it was brilliant because everybody knew the start time and the end time. And like, you're going to get a lot from that year and a lot of experience. But by the time that you're a bit bored of that system, it's okay. Like <laughs> you're done and it's somewhere You're on your way out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and they work really well. I think we had like four placement years in the time that I was there. But, um, but they're really quite hard to um, promote. I always found because for a lot of managers, if you're training somebody up just for a year and then they're going, that's, that's hard. Um, but also business is quite focused on their early careers, graduates and friendships, and then placements are kind of like almost a distraction from that. Mm. So what was your experience applying for a placement and then then what you actually got from that time at the ABI? Yeah, I, I really was not enjoying applying for placements. It was so competitive. Um, there were multiple assessment centres that I travelled to. So I went to Loughborough University and um, a lot of the jobs I was applying for were in London because my parents lived just outside London. So I thought, oh, I'll commute in, um, which I was eventually doing five days a week, which sounds crazy now. I would not want to do a door-to-door hour journey <laughs> every day, five days a week now. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was, it was it was really scary, to be honest, because a lot of conversations I was having with third years or final years that had just come back off of placement, they were saying, yeah, yeah, so I'm really impressed at my placement and I'm now going to go back as a graduate or yeah, they've, they've kind of given me a permanent position once I, once I leave university. And, you know, in my head, I thought, God, this is a really big deal. Like a lot of people really, you know, solidify their, their position and even their early career it, just in this placement year. So, it was, it was a lot of pressure and there were, you know, there, there were companies that never even responded after I traveled all the way down for an assessment center. Um, there were companies where they just kind of herded you through the assessment center, like sheep. And you just, you just felt like another, another number in their eyes that they were just scoring. Um, but my experience with the ABI was really great because I never once, I was never herded into a room with all the other candidates. Um, yeah, I, I was treated as an individual. I was treated as though I was going for a job, not just a vacancy. Um, and, you know, I was, I was really grateful that, um, you know, my, my boss took me on and um, kind of saw something in me which these other places didn't because, you know, I, did, I didn't have a, a finance or a, or a business degree. And, and that seemed to be what all the other candidates around me had. And they were all getting kind of, like you said, university support. I wasn't getting that much university support for the kind of placements I was applying for because of my degree. I, you know, doing sport, I got a lot of the, you know, um, the PT or coaching, teaching kind of placement opportunities put on, uh, you know, sent through in my emails. And I wasn't really interested in, in any of that. And so that again, reiterated the point that you're not good enough for this. Like, why are you here? You, you don't have the relevant degree. Um, so yeah, so once I got my placement at the ABR I was like oh this is really fun because they have their offices like um in the city kind of you can have a really lovely um terrace that looks out onto the city as well and I was kind of like oh this is so much fun um but yeah for, for ages um 
you know it's the same same for every placement isn't it you're learning so much and everything's very overwhelming and you don't even know how to send an email properly you know you're learning all the soft kind of etiquette around the office which makes a huge difference I'm noticing now as a graduate coming in because there are people who I've never worked in an office before um and you know giving pointers to people on on just general office etiquette and and how to manage a diary and things like that it's it, it was you know really invaluable um, my placement year in that respect um and you know I think I, I agree with you that people see placement years or hiring managers see placement years as a waste of time potentially if if it's not going to be a permanent position and you have to you know recruit every year and placement year recruitment cycles take months you know you, you open applications in September people don't join until the following September in some cases um so but but from from my perspective it's it's an investment because if you retain the talent so I went back to the ABI the following year um and you retain the relationship so like I'm still very much in touch with the ABI um you know we're, we're going into their offices uh in a couple of weeks time to to use their space to do some training and you know that's that's all because of the great relationship that I've retained with them because they treat me really brilliantly and, and you know they, they really helped develop me and they got me into this industry um and I think if more companies kind of had that approach which a lot of them do but some don't um then they really see the value in these in these placement year students because they're all really keen and they all just want to learn and do a really really good job um and they can become really really good long-term talent in the future if they're treated correctly and if they actually have that development and I, I think there's certainly lots of companies that are really focused on early careers and have like really proactive marketing and, and relationships with universities and that kind of stuff going on. So I feel like I feel like we're maybe progressing to that. I think I think the other thing about placement years that, that adds a lot of value is that you go back in your third year and tell people about your experience. So if you had a handful of people doing an insurance placement they would probably put insurance on the radar of 50, 60 other students in that third year when they're actually looking for graduate schemes. So the ripple impact mm-hmm. you know, is, is um, one that, that can really help us uh, as, as an industry. Did you find that for yourself? Like as you came back into your third year and you all traded notes over apprenticeships, you know, how did yours measure up? And what, what kind of level of interest did others have? Because you might have also equally struggled to convince them that you found it interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, my my kind of um, friends at university—they're all very very diverse. Um, so I've got friends, my friends that work in financial services, that can you know some um, financial advisors, some people that work in telecoms, um, and then you know friends who did sports science and have continued, and you know they're working in in gyms, etc. So it's it's a variety. Um, but I'd say yeah, the placement year when I'm you know looking back and thinking about it, most of my friends that did a placement year have either gone back to the place where they did it or they've stayed in that similar industry. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it really does solidify, I think, your at least the, the type of graduate programmes and schemes that you're applying for. You know, I applied for all the big insurers and, um, you know, all the kind of uh, employers that I was exposed to while I was at the ABI. I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see if they've got anything going here, you know. Um, and when I came to Allianz, I realised that there was actually quite a few people on my grad scheme who had done placement years or internships at Allianz. And I thought that was great. You know, I thought it was really great that there are people who join for a very small amount of time, you know, maybe just a summer internship. And Allianz have recognised that, oh, no, this is talent that we really want to keep on. We're going to keep them onto the graduate scheme. Um, and, you know, you can you can really tell that that they enjoy it, that everyone really enjoys working here and that, you can see a kind of a longer term career as opposed to just getting your grad scheme done, getting the exams, getting the qualifications and then leaving and going elsewhere. That's that's really not the kind of culture that that you feel here. Um, whereas for some of my other friends, you know, I've got friends who are, like I say, like in financial services who I feel like are doing that. They're kind of they're in their plate, they're in their graduate scheme because they're getting all their exams paid for. They're going to get the qualifications, whatever that may be. And then they might move on somewhere else afterwards. And so. Um, if you get that kind of um, that culture right in early careers, then you can keep talent for for ages. And I mean, Allianz have loads of 
ex-grads who are now very high up the company and have stayed for, for years and years, which is, again, something that you want to hear as a graduate. You don't want to hear that it's a, a short-term thing. And when we talk about culture, it's really hard to grasp the difference between that feeling to the actions that create that feeling for you. So if there were just kind of a couple of things that you think um, have either been facilitated by Allianz or by your colleagues and, and peers, that's making you kind of feel like that, what, what's really stand out for you? Yeah, so I think one thing that a lot of people at Allianz will say is that people are very generous with their time um, because they, they just want to help. And I've never once had a situation where I thought, oh, I'd quite like to talk to them about their job, you know, see, see if there's a placement going for my next rotation. I've never once felt like I'm wasting their time talking to them. Um, even if I do have a conversation with someone about a potential placement or a side of desk project um, that I want to get involved in, and then it turns out that actually it's probably not the best thing for me. I never feel like I've wasted their time. I feel like I've learned and that I've built that connection and that something might come around in the future that actually might benefit me. And then I'll go back and say, oh, you know, I'm actually interested in this now. Do you have a, do you have anything going? So yeah, I think people being generous with their time and actually wanting to develop you, however big or small that might be, you know, whether it's, you know, the L and D team actually enrolling you on a course or whether it's the team leader in a different branch in a completely different area of business, giving you work experience or work shadowing someone else in their team for the day. Um, just knowing that you're not gonna no one's gonna go oh why aren't, why aren't they at the desk oh they're job shadowing what a waste of time you would never hear that you it would always be encouraged um, so you know and that and that definitely fosters that um, element of bravery and curiosity uh, which is I mean it's really important for a company the size of Allianz that has so many different avenues so many different job types um, who you know want to retain their talent it's better people get more exposure to it than not so I think that's one thing that kind of culture of learning and enabling others to to learn um, and I think the other one is the the infrastructure so Allianz have really great infrastructure for L&D we have a kind of internal platform where we can just you know I could get off this call right now and take um, a, a half an hour course on system syncing if I wanted to um, which I absolutely do I really do need to learn more about system syncing <laughs> um, and you know I, I, I have my apprenticeship which would then um, kind of back that up uh, so you know I'm not just doing it for my sake I'm also doing it because it helps me with my apprenticeship and it you know goes towards my hours um, and then that also goes towards my personal development plan which I have on a system which is accessible to everyone globally at Allianz and so I you know <clears throat> it's that infrastructure of knowing that everything that I learn and everything that I do not only is helping me but it's also documented and it can push me on further and, you know, people can recognise that, oh, Lydia's interested in that. I can see she's done lots of learning here. I can see that she's got these connections here. You know, let's, let's, let's take her on and or, you know, let's, let's push her in the right direction. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I'd say that the kind of the, the, the culture of learning and the support and then the actual infrastructure, the things which can actually enable you to, to pursue whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah, excellent. And there's some, um, it's, it's kind of really key, isn't it? It's that it's, it's the day-to-day -day stuff, I think, that, that really makes people kind of feel that rather than a project here or a, um, a mm. kind of shiny initiative over there. It's like day-to-day, -day, how do we feel about what we're doing and, and the relationships that we have with people and, and how welcome are we? Um, and, I, you know, I think there's often an assumption with people that graduates just aren't there to stay, you know, and, mm. and that's really not the experience I ever found. You know, with them... Um, Liberty, I think I was managing the graduate scheme there for, oh, I feel like it was six years, seven years, probably. We had, all right, it was, I think it was 38 people come through, graduates or, and apprentices um, over that time period. And at the point I left, only two of them had left. Like, mm. It's not the case now, you know, it's been a few years since, so if you go through and tally up the numbers now, it's not quite, but most of them are still there now. Most of them absolutely are. And there's this assumption that graduates kind of will come in and, and have two, three years in them and go. My kind of view is that if you give them a graduate job for two, three years, and after those two, three years, they're still doing a graduate job, they're probably going to go. Right? Mm. But if you bring them in with a view that 
you are looking at a long-term career and that every kind of six months or so you're you're having a conversation about what they're doing what what is stretching them what are they finding boring and yes some of it's going to be boring but you're allowed to tell me that that's what you want to do less of and at some point in the future we'll make sure it is but for now yeah that's part of the role and just kind of being transparent about those expectations but also um sort of uh, curious about what people want to do more and trying to facilitate that if the role is progressing there is no reason for the graduates to go generally you know, so if you come off a graduate scheme and go into a role that doesn't feel you know, like you are learning as much as you did when you were on the graduate scheme you're probably going to go I like to look at kind of a grad scheme like it's kind of like um, a pinball like your machine you kind of pull it back and then you're off to that kind of quick start and then you've got all these different options of where you're going to go but you've got to keep getting pushed in that direction continuously otherwise like where do you go afterwards it's just Mm -hmm. it's an anti-climax you come off that scheme you had all this attention you had all this structure and all this support and it's gone and then what do you do now so it's kind of managing that um ownership which sounds like you've got where you have the option to facilitate your own development your own relationships because once you're off the graduate scheme that's a skill you've learned and you can continue that, whereas if it's always facilitated, once you're off the graduate scheme, it's no longer facilitated for you, and you're probably going to look to move. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and the scheme that I'm on at the moment absolutely does that. It's very flexible. I can choose the following placement. Obviously, I get a lot of support and, and advice um, on, on what to do next based on my strengths, weaknesses, again, my personal development plan, where it is that I want to end up maybe in the next three, five, ten years. Um, but ultimately providing everything else around it is is okay and, and it's you know feasible I can choose whatever placement I want as long as the position's there so you know I yeah I have that ownership and I can choose to learn the roles that I want to to get to know and it's that um it's that culture of um allowing people to to fail or find out things that they're, they're bad at as well as what they're good at um so I'm kind of in the in the predicament right now of do I take on a role which you know from talking to the current person in that placement doesn't really appeal to me but then again the placement that I'm in right now wouldn't have appealed to me if you'd have told me before I started the graduate scheme I would would have asked to do something else if I'm completely honest but I love it I really really enjoy it so um yeah I think allowing people to, to in their early career especially on graduate schemes if they're rotational especially doing roles which they wouldn't have otherwise chosen if not if not for the actual role itself but just to kind of pick up on the soft skills which they might be good at or which they might not be good at which then helps them to decide what they want to do once they come off scheme um, and once they have a, a permanent role because if you're stuck in one position for your whole grad scheme and you, you haven't had that exposure to the other areas of the business I guess you'll never know and like you say if that if that graduate comes to the end of the scheme and they go I really don't like this and I haven't actually found anything else that I like so I'm going to go now it's it's you're going to be trapped in that cycle so um yeah I think giving that opportunity to explore what it is that you're good at what it is that you enjoy and what you don't enjoy and what you aren't good at it's very important during during early careers especially in insurance because who the hell knows what's going on behind closed doors in insurance there's so much there's so many different roles there's so many different teams um and it's yeah it's really important just to get people aware of them in the first place which graduate schemes can absolutely do So let's go back to this piece you were talking about at the beginning of people knowing that insurance is there. And and what we can do as an industry, and there's the the answer that often comes up, um, which is turn up at the universities and do more stuff with that. Mm. Um, Now, like I I always find that that's presumptuous, that if we're there, they're going to come and listen to us, right? Like I remember giving a talk once, um, and like 15 people turned up. I think I'd traveled all the way to Exeter to do a talk with the CII, 15 mm. people were there. Oh, nice. And it was like, this, we, we're here, we're trying, but no, like we, we kind of assume they're gonna just come and listen because like we're there. Uh, but I, I kind of, and I feel like that that's the piece that companies probably know like what to do and how to get there and how to turn up to universities and which career fairs maybe they wanna to go to and so on. But I think there's a level below that that we're really not doing, which your insight you know, gives is the, the, the real day-to-day kind of view of, of what people are experiencing as they think about it, which is 
as you walk around that career fair, like you'll look at certain stands, you're going to talk to models, you look at them and go, I'm interested in that one, I'm not interested in that one. If you don't walk up to the stand, they can't convince you to be interested in it. So what can we do as an industry to create enough interest and curiosity that if we go to the universities, people will want to listen to us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's 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 a really good point. Because I've had that experience where I've gone around university schools um, at these careers fairs, and I went up to one employer, won't say who, um, and I said, you know, have you, have you what placement roles have you got going? And and they kind of said, oh, what what, what degree are you want? So I said sports science, and they went, oh, we don't really have roles for sports science grads. So immediately I just went, oh, okay. I walked away and I will never apply for that employer ever again because, you know, it's quite dismissive, really. So I think first, just, just before we go on to that point, it leaves a mark in people's brains. If you're a graduate employer or a placement year employer and those students or those graduates aren't being treated very nicely, even before they even apply, if the recruitment process is poor, if you never get back to them, if you don't give them good feedback, they're not going to bother and they probably won't bother for the next few years either because they see that, you know, the experience is going to be the same no matter what role they apply for. That's just my perception. But there were definitely some employers which a lot of graduates were applying for and they had, you know, their, their I'd say, bulk recruitment process. Um, and on the same, we were all sitting around um, the table for dinner once and then my friend and I, who both applied for the same graduate scheme, both got the same blank generic email, which we'd kind of spent a lot of time on this application we'd done video interviews and it was you know for the final stage and just got a blanket email months after we'd actually sent off the last uh, the last application stage and we both just looked at each other and went what's that all about that's not very nice and so we will both who both now work in financial services probably not apply for that for that employer now so yeah I think first of all if insurers really want to appeal to these young people who are coming out of school university college whatever make sure that your recruitment process is approachable um, and you know accessible the language that you're that you're using remember you're you you know <laughs> you're trying to appeal to graduates these graduates are literally machine gunning out these applications and so if they read something and they think they can't do that or they don't have the credentials or it, it sounds boring in any way shape or form they're probably not going to apply for it so the kind of language that you have to be using has to appeal to them because you know I think what we're finding at the moment actually because we're, we're looking at some of our graduate applications um a lot of people have actually decided I think to go traveling now that the, the pandemic's over so you're battling with that as well now there are a lot more opportunities out there for young people um especially now COVID is kind of finished so you've really got to make it seem um or, or you know highlight all the excellent things you have to offer these graduates what the day-to-day will look like um honestly what the day-to-day will look like as well not not kind of sugarcoating it again graduates we're not stupid we will see through it um and then highlighting the opportunities as to where it can lead you later on because I mean at the end of the day I think the grads that you're going to want to attract are going to be the ones that aren't just necessarily doing it for a job they're the ones that are doing it for a career and so we do want to hear that you've got graduates who are still there and they're you know really senior in the business they're business leaders and they've enjoyed it and while they've been here they've also trekked up a mountain for charity and they've also won awards for all of the charity and CSR work that they're doing um you know so you're going to have an excellent time while you're here because like I say insurance is an intimidating industry a lot of people think that insurance is just punching numbers into a screen and, and kind of selling policies which I guess on the face of it, yeah, it is, but there's so much more to it and people need to realise that. So at these stalls, at these fairs, have it very apparent to these, you know, all these students that are walking past that there probably is a role here for you somewhere. Come and talk to us about it. Um, We're not going to fob you off (laughs) like the other employer did to me if you don't have a degree which would necessarily, um, you know, suit the industry on paper. So... Yeah, that's that's kind of what I would say. Just just remember that these graduates are they're looking everywhere, but they also they they do really want the graduate positions, which really appeal to them. Are the ones which um, will stand out and actually seem a- appealing, as opposed to just a job. And how about TikTok? And I'll, I'll link TikTok in with with social media in general, but I think um, TikTok almost has its own. A uh, conversation in its own right, the way it works nowadays, um, which most people don't use as well. I appreciate people listening to this 
the majority of people aren't on TikTok. And I'm always conscious, actually, at the beginning, I was like, yeah, get on, it's brilliant. Um, it is absolutely a time zapper. You open up TikTok for five minutes and you've lost an hour and you have no mm. idea what you've done with it. So if you're not on TikTok and you're not sure about it, um, I do always just kind of warn people if it's dangerous once you're in there. But I have learned so much from TikTok. I, I can't... Um, sort of often pieced together like people are like, oh how do you know that and I'm like yeah and TikTok. but you can't tell people <laughs> that's the reason because it just like, you know, it I do just that on Excel I, I've watched these videos where people are showing you how to do like different tricks and things on Excel and I'll do it at work and someone will go oh where'd you learn that and I'm like uh oh there's just an online course I did I think it was on LinkedIn no it's not it's TikTok it's absolutely (laughs) I've I've sent it to myself on TikTok and I'm now there following this person on a repeated loop video on how to do this (laughs) yeah it's just really like the algorithm is so clever like the way it it knows so I I use TikTok a lot for marketing I learn a lot about marketing on TikTok um you know you using social media platforms but also creating posts and editing youtubes and all that kind of stuff like a lot of that I've, I've learned from tiktok um and tiktok lo- works out very quickly what you like and only shows you things it thinks you like because it doesn't want you to leave the app and this is why five minutes turns into an hour because it's showing you stuff you want to watch you said i think when we, we, you at the beginning of this podcast you said you know tiktok sort of pushed you to the cii insurance side of tiktok and that's kind of tiktok language of like the algorithm thinks that you're going to like this and kind of pushes you in that way um but this the insurance side of tiktok is a lonely place like i don't find many insurance tiktokers and um, there's a, quite a few mortgage uh, advisors that type of thing i think um when i, I like that i'm kind of getting on my algorithm coming up now um but is that the experience the same for you? Like, are you, are you do you see any other kind of insurance TikToks going on? Yeah, no, no, not at all. I've not, I've not seen any. I've seen adverts for insurance brands on there, but they're not, they're not insurance accounts. Um, yeah, I think potentially the reason for that could be that they don't see TikTok as a, for lack of a better way of putting it, a serious enough platform to yeah. be putting messages out about their vacancies or their careers or things like that um but like you say it's 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 literally it's got the population in a in a chokehold especially my population um and so yeah if you really want to appeal for to a large audience of a certain demographic tiktok's the way to go i mean look at some of these brands like ryanair duolingo they are smashing it with their marketing on tiktok i mean you know and, and i've never actually watched any kind of advert for any other brand and genuinely laughed and also if you see that you know they're, they're literally videoing these in in an office somewhere you know in the in the Ryanair office or whatever and, and it might be different behind the screen but to an outsider looking in you think oh that's funny seems like a laugh actually I wonder if they got any jobs going so yeah you've got to, you've got to again like show, show show the outside audience what it actually might physically be like like you say the day-to-day it's not all about all these you know flashy initiatives and things like that but those are great don't get me wrong but um like you say it's the day-to-day that people want to know about when I'm kind of on these um uh empower um uh kind of networking calls and and things like that what what the perspective graduates and and students want to know is what the day-to-day is like you know obviously they want to know what the career progression is like but they want to know what it's like behind closed doors what it is like actually in the offices the culture how people treat you um and so TikTok can actually give people a window into that so I think yeah I think I think a lot of employers are, are missing out on that and insurance could well if they picked it up if they wanted to do something with it they they absolutely could um I mean we have antics in our office which rightly or wrongly shouldn't maybe should or shouldn't be on TikTok but you know it's it's still a really fun place to work and I definitely think that if we got the sign off for marketing our graduates um, our graduate cohort would be all over it absolutely yeah I think there's a few things isn't there that you'd like to consider um the fact you just pulled out Ryanair and Duolingo um we haven't rehearsed this I, I had a conversation with um Caroline who's the CEO of the LMG um and we've got a podcast episode coming out um so they probably overlap around the time people are listening to this one those are literally the two companies I said like you've got to check these two out because they have like and then you just pulled the same two 
So if anyone's curious on TikTok and you don't want to get sucked in, just follow those two companies and see what they're doing because everyone on TikTok knows that is how you do TikTok right as a business. Brilliant. Um, But seven years ago, I can remember having conversations about Instagram and most insurance business. I can remember looking through which insurance companies want to Instagram and barely anywhere. Now Mm. they all are. um, But the reality is we are a risk adverse industry. And social mm. media can be a risky place. There's room for misinterpretation. Um, there's room for people to come at you with lots of questions and comments that you can't manage back. Um, so I kind of get the cautiousness, probably almost from the business side more so, but I'd love to probably see a bit more freedom of individuals just posting about their experience, not necessarily even labeling the company they work for and what they do with it, but, but kind of having the blessing an encouragement that yeah you can do this just you know don't make it very clear this is your content not our content um because also people don't want to like a caveat I said you're an ingo Ryanet that I mean you do with them they're brilliant but um but generally people don't want to follow businesses they want to follow people so mm-hmm. if you had one for a company and 50 different people posting on it you wouldn't feel any rapport or connection with that sort of brand so really you want to have like just a handful of people or even just one person but several different accounts of one people and um, sort of individual accounts talking about their stuff and then capturing people but it's just I mean I know of I know of you know and I know there'll be people that I don't know of and if anyone listens to this and you're one of them you've never told me please do but I know of about eight people that have come from my TikTok directly into a job so either they saw me advertise a job for example, I think one of the ones that, that, that had the best response um, is the, there was a job for Aon and um, it was an incredibly niche role. They wanted somebody with a master's in organizational development. And they, because that's so specific, they were like struggling with this. Sent it over to me, like, what can you, what can you do with this? I was like, oh, I might as well try. And at the time there was this trend. And again, speaking in TikTok jargon, you know, that's the kind of song or sound of the minute. But it was the trend where people would kind of put their hands together and dance around as though you found your perfect match. And then um, I don't do dancing on my TikToks. Anyone's uh, hoping to see that. But I played that sound in the background and basically said, imagine you're doing a master's in organizational development and then you find a job that actually wants someone with a master's in organizational development. Would you be so happy? Share this with people that have got it and then just hashtag relevant hashtags to it. TikTok did its algorithm magic. All of a sudden, I had all these comments going, TikTok, you know me so well. This is literally what I'm studying. How does it know it? And then they're tagging in all of their students that they're studying with and stuff. It got about 65,000 views. And um, I can't remember how many comments, but um, like quite a considerable amount of applications came from directly from that TikTok. Um, I don't know whether the successful person that got the role or not was. So if someone's listening to this and it's you, please let me know. But um, Uh, but like it was a role that was just so hard to get out there to the right audience and TikTok literally you know pushed it to the right people and but it's hard like if I'm really honest you know the reason I want lots of people doing this is TikTok is a really hard place to make content um like I'll do a video I have a vicious cycle you've probably noticed I will post like 10 times in a week and then you won't see me for like two (laughs) three weeks right and the reason is I'll post like those 10 videos. I get like a buzz out of it. I'm getting a few comments, da, 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 da. And then there's more comments and then there's more questions. And then I'm thinking, oh, I haven't got time to reply to that one. And then I'm thinking, I can't do another post because I haven't replied to them yet. So that's rude if I do another post before I reply to them. And then all of a sudden, this time management issue of TikTok starts consuming me. It makes me feel really guilty. So I just kind of ignore it for a couple of weeks. And then I'm like, okay I can do it now yeah I'm back <laughs> and I kind of get another energy boost with it but it's um you know and the engagement's brilliant the questions the, the, that's what you want um but it is you know it is emotionally draining like like I, I find it really hard I've not actually managed to um coach myself all the way through this process of why I find it so hard I find it so rewarding but then the next day I can just be like oh no like I've got 50 comments and like that's a bad thing you know because I don't I need to reply to them all and so on and um and then I need to do that on top of the business and my two kids and then feel guilty that I'm spending time on TikTok when I'm like you know it's just it's a lot but it works so then I feel guilty if I'm not doing it because then I'm doing a disservice to all these young people that are there that are looking for these jobs that I could be given these jobs like 
and I'm not, it's just a guilt trap. So yeah, I am. Um, I would love it if there were more people there. That would, <laughs> that would make that bit a little bit easier. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that in that, it, yeah, it can be very time consuming, especially video content. You know, you, you want to make sure that it's right. If you're anything like me, you don't like the sound of your own voice, kind of lis- listening to it back and you're like, oh, Christ, no one, who's going to want to listen to that? So, yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And I think another thing with TikTok is that it's so um, fast. All the trends come and go. They come and go. Like you say, you could be off it for two weeks and you've missed about five trends. Um, I have my busy periods where, you know, I, I won't be on my phone that much. And then I'll go back and my friends have sent me hundreds of TikToks. And trends, and I can literally see the trends him coming and going, like within the couple of weeks that I've that I've missed out. So, and maybe that's what some employers and insurance companies don't want to have to deal with. Perhaps it's, you know, they've got their marketing planner. They know what it is that they want to post and when, depending on what you know day it is. If there's any special events going on or any you know industry um, dates happening, and so it's like, oh where does TikTok fit into this? Like we're posting about our CSR initiative on this day, but we don't know what the trend is going to be at that day. So we can't really plan that content. That's really difficult. It's very off the cuff. So, um, you know, you have to have probably like a a specialist um, content creator just for that platform. And, you know, like you say, if you're very risk averse, if that platform doesn't actually work for the company and it, you know, doesn't actually add any value, then you're left with, with someone with the skills that, isn't actually able to use it so but if it does work like you say it's really 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 good yeah yeah no I'll um I keep hashtagging insurance now and I'm quite conscious I'm like I don't know how many people pick up these videos because of this hashtag because I don't feel Mm. like there's enough hashtags of insurance for TikTok to have the data to find people but I think if I keep persevering with it there'll be that there will be a bit it will start turning up um and we'll we'll get those people that you know are coming for it's just it's so brilliant like um people like like ellie ellie's fantastic for this she did a video for us actually explaining her journey what journey once she found me on tiktok not interested like i wasn't posting a lot of insurance like most of my tiktoks aren't about insurance they're about cvs and interviews and stuff and then you know you've got the audience of people looking for jobs and then i can sort of feed the jobs in there so that if they're curious or open-minded they'll have a look at it so she was following CV advice. She saw um, a post I did about the interim insurance course. She came on into insurance. Um, she did the networking at the end um, with some people we had at CFC actually doing that networking as well. She joined our interim insurance uh, LinkedIn group, which anyone can join. Um, and she saw a job that we posted for CFC and then she got that job. So she kind of came literally through TikTok all this through this journey. And then about six months ago, I was in their offices and saw her outside the lift. And it was just this really weird moment of like, oh, wait, like <laughs> you are, because it's always been, you know, in 2D all the way through. But it's just such yeah. a kind of exciting thing to be like, literally all this came about because of TikTok. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for that kind of clever algorithm, like it wouldn't have come on her radar. So I think, yeah, I think there's so much potential there. Um no, and Instagram as well, to a degree, like we're good at posting about products on Instagram, but we don't necessarily post about careers on there so much as well. Um, okay, so we always end this podcast with a bit of advice. So if you were going to share some advice, either for someone starting their career or someone considering jobs and insurance, uh, what's one of the kind of top pieces of advice you've been given that's really helped you? Something that my um, line managers or you know seniors have, have always said, to me because I'm a bit outspoken let's say um can can be a bit of a handful but you know my my intentions are good and I think people see that so I've always been told never never change who you are or you know the the message that you're trying to get across because like you say I'm always on social media talking about DNI and you know equal opportunities and 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 um really trying to hammer at home that this isn't just a, a side project for companies to be working on it's something that should really be ingrained in every employee in in all of your strategies um whether it be people ops um business development because it can really make a massive difference to your company and your people and the industry 
um and as the country as a whole like we're we're a huge employer right so if everyone got on board with this then we'd be we'd be making a massive difference so um yeah just just <laughs> essentially telling me to to just be myself and, and not really change at all and, and I think that's really important because you know I think some people think when they come into work they have to put on a different version of themselves and yes you have to be professional absolutely um but you've still got your personality there and uh what I like about insurance that I've found is that there are a range of personalities again people on the outside might think that a lot of insurance people are you know maybe quite quiet or you know don't, don't really talk not very sociable anyone that does work in insurance knows that <laughs> we're very sociable um but again like all very very different personalities and um I think that's what makes the industry really great and that's what that's what industry should have it's it's a diverse range of people so um yeah don't be afraid to just be yourself don't think that you have to act overly professional um in in your interviews because you know no one wants to work with a robot people want to work with fun people so so show you that if you're if you're going even in a video interview I know that it's a computer that's asking you the questions but be a person answering the question and show that personality because again you'll get you'll get seen if you're an individual so yeah make sure that you show your individuality brilliant I love that thank you so much Lydia and thank you for sharing your your thoughts keep sharing your thoughts as well if you want to find you on LinkedIn and engage in that conversation we'll we'll keep it going yeah absolutely no thanks so much for this no it's been brilliant I've loved this